Hi, I'm Adam Burton, the pastor at Central Baptist Church. Thank you for checking out this sermon. I pray that it encourages you and helps you to grow closer to Jesus. Well, as grateful as I am for you, please don't allow this message to keep you from connecting with a local church. If you're in our area, we would love for you to check us out at Central Baptist Church. God bless. Well, several years ago, I took a, a group of students to a youth camp that was on a, on a college campus. And, um, and one of my students, while we were there, came up to me and said, Adam, have you heard about this new game? I was like, no, what are you talking about? And they said, well, it's called Pokemon. And I replied, well, yeah, I'm familiar with Pokemon, but it's not a new new game. Like, my brother was a fan playing and growing up. He collected all of the Pokemon cards and had the binders and sleeves and all of that, that went with it. it uh, the students kind of looked a little perplexed at me, like, what kind of cards are you talking about? They said, it's not a card game. It's a, it's a game that you, you play on your phone. And then I look outside of the window, the, the building that I was in, into the, the, the courtyard, the quad there with a the big field in the middle. And, and as I saw, I saw dozens of students just walking around with their phone up in the, up in the air, like almost zombie-like. <laughs> and I kid you not, teenagers were bumping into each other and because they couldn't take their eyes away from, from their phones for just a moment. Well, come to find out, you know, the students were right. They were talking about a new version of this game called Pokemon Go. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a mobile game where players use your, 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 your phone and, and the GPS in the phone to, and you have a camera with your camera and you, you capture and you battle and all of these virtual creatures called Pokemon that I'm telling you, I don't understand, but, um, but they would kind of appear on, on the screen and, and then at the same time in a real world locations as the same player. And, and so it was kind of the combining the virtual within reality. And, and in 2016, it came out that year and it quickly became a global phenomenon. In fact, I knew it was a big deal when right after uh, uh, the camp, I, I left from, from camp to go to, to Scotland on a mission trip. And, and one of the young men, the Scottish men that was, was there, asked if he could borrow my iTunes login. I was like, what, did, what do you want that for? And he, and he said that he had heard about this Pokemon Go game that but it was only available in the U.S., and so he couldn't get it there in the U.K. at the time. But this is the way of, of globalization. Even if you're in U.K., you can download it if you have an American iTunes login. And I won't tell you whether or not I allowed him to use mine. Um, but Pokemon Go is kind of now faded a little bit in popularity, but in the summer of 2016, man, it was consumed the lives of teenagers all around the globe. You know, what's something that you don't think that you could live without? Man, we've got the necessities, right? We've got food and water and, and shelter. But then let's go from kind of the, the, the essential needs down to maybe the, uh, the wants and desires. Of, we have to have food, but our lives would be a little more difficult if we didn't have restaurants, right? Then <laughs> we would have to fix every meal that we have. Or school, or you name it. And then we kind of go down another 
level, then, you know, things that are, you know, not really even necessities, but are big parts of our lives like TV and our phones or the internet. You know, there's certain things that, that consume us. I mean, you, you got a vacation coming up, and it's all that you can think about. Uh, you get everything together in preparation, and you spend months and months making lists and getting things and making sure that everything is ready to go. Or you make plans to go to your favorite restaurant, and you can already taste that food in your mouth before you ever go into the doors of that restaurant. Or this new TV show's release, and at work everybody's talking about it, and and then you get there, and then you watch it, and then you come in the next day, and that's all you do is talk about it, and the list goes on and on. But as Christians, what is it that should consume our desires, our thoughts, and our actions? You know, over the last several weeks, we've. We've looked at Paul's letter to the Colossians, and he said in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he said, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Then in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul continues, he said, If you have been raised with Christ... And we are to what? We are to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, things like sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he tells them to, to replace their sin. In verse 12, with he says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and and patience. Well, in today's passage, we are going to see that there are three essential traits that uh, that that are faith that that consume a a faithful Christian, and. Uh, as you can tell, they are prayerful, wise, and ready. And just a, a point of uh, uh, confession this morning, as I was preparing this message, I came to uh, realize that it would be beneficial to both me and to you to uh, make this a, a two-parter. Um, you know, there's some uh, uh, people that do very well in, in preaching entire, you know, hour-long sermons on just one word or one verse in Scripture, and I'm not near um, uh, uh, polished and well enough to do that. Uh, usually, uh, you know, you, I could try to, to find kind of the main concept and, 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 and go with that, and sometimes you leave things out. But, you know, I found that in this few verses right here in, in, uh, in Paul's letter, there's a lot of different things that, that are condensed in here. And in fact, you could really preach an entire sermon based on just one word in, in each of these verses. So this morning, we are going to focus, though, on, on prayer. What it means to be consumed or devoted to prayer. So we're going to read the entire passage this morning, and then uh, we'll pick up next week with the second half of that of wisdom and being ready. So read with me, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue 
steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. God bless the reading of His holy word. So the first of these characteristics, uh, the defining aspects of a of a Christian is is to devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourself to prayer. We start here in, in chapter 4, verse 2, right? It says, Paul advises us to, to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, you know, I think the language that Paul uses here is, is kind of interesting. You know, he, he doesn't say to, to, to pray often, as he does in other passages, he doesn't even tell the Colossians that they need to begin to think about praying. No, he assumes that they're already praying, right? He says, continue steadfastly in praying. Now, other translations, yours might say that they are to devote yourselves to prayer. See, the point here that Paul is, is making is, is not so much in the, 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 the mechanics of prayer, although we'll get to that. It's that we are to have a lifestyle of prayer, of prayerfulness. You know, it is, it's a verb, it's an action. We are to be praying, but it's also an adjective. It describes followers of Christ. According to the, to the Pew Research Center, one of their studies said that 55% of Americans pray every day. That's a pretty good number. I mean, one in two people on average, not just Christians, this is of all Americans, say that they pray every single day. Now, it's even more encouraging is that 63% of Christians in the U.S. say that they pray regularly and that it's an essential part of their Christian identity. Right? It is. It is an essential part part of our identity. See, we are to live in a posture of prayer. Right? As Lou read this morning, and uh, it's amazing how God kind of brings things together because um, we didn't plan it that way, although I guess we could take credit for it. But, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, right, Paul tells the Thessalonians to pray without what? Without ceasing. You know, I think of the strongest Christians that I know. They're not necessarily those that have most verses of the Bible memorized. Those that can debate with the best of them the, 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 the points of theology or those that even really, you know, uh, kind of look the part they're always serving. Although it can be a combination of those. No, those that are the strongest Christians that I know and hopefully it's the case for you is that they are devoted to prayer. They're devoted to prayer. See, if you want to be strong in the Lord, 
then you must devote yourself to prayer. Paul then, here in verse 2, adds that, that we are to be watchful in it. We're to be watchful in our prayer. So what does, what does that mean, to be watchful? All right? I mean, are we, you know, how are we to watch as we pray? Aren't we supposed to close your eyes when you pray and bow your heads and you know, hold your hands? Look, just after being betrayed by Judas in that upper room, by one of the officers of the disciples, the treasurer of this group, Jesus leaves with the remaining 11 disciples, those followers, and he goes outside of that upper room into the, to the Garden of Gethsemane, just outside of Jerusalem. And as they come to the entrance of this garden, he, he tells the disciples to stay because he's got some important business to take care of. But then he singles out three, the disciples, Peter and James and John, his closest, kind of that inner circle. And he says, I want you, I want you three to come with me as I pray. In the Gospel of Mark, it tells us that as Jesus is going, he's greatly distressed and troubled. And he told these disciples that, that as he goes in there, he said, I want you to be on watch as I pray, because Jesus knew what was about to take place. He knew that he was about to be arrested in that very same garden. But he wasn't ready for it to happen just yet. Before the events leading to his death on the cross, he, he wanted to cry out to God, to pray to Him before it happened and, and the Bible tells us that Jesus prayed so fervently that he sweat drops of blood. Now, there are some you know, scientific studies that have tried to explain how that could physically happen, and it may or may not have happened that way. But what we know is that Jesus poured out his heart to his Father that night. And then as he's praying, he comes back to his the three, James and John and Peter, and what does he find them doing? They're sleeping. Jesus is sweating drops of blood, giving everything he has, and these, you know, these closest of his disciples are, they couldn't even stay awake. And so Jesus says in Mark chapter 14, verse 38, he says, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. How often do you pray that God would give you the strength to resist temptation? How often do we Wake up in the morning and pray to God. God, I just I I, I know that I'm going to be tempted by the by the evil one, and God, I just pray God that that you would give me the strength to not enter temptation to sin. Sadly, you know that's not usually the way we see things. We live now in a culture where it's the norm to just do whatever you want to do and and then ask for forgiveness later. But thankfully, we do have a God that forgives. 
He, yes, he does. He forgives every single one of our sins. But, but when we do sin, as we heard from our children, as we sing about this morning, we diminish his holiness. We dishonor him when we sin. And also, we must pay the consequences for our sin. See, look here at Jesus' words. He said, the spirit indeed is willing, but what the flesh is weak. See, the spirit is willing. The Holy Spirit is willing to not just hear our prayers, but to protect us. But sadly, we think we don't need any help. Ah, we, we're strong. We can do it. We can do it on our own. We can just pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and go. Scripture tells us that we receive because we have not yet asked. So friends, no matter how strong you are, how strong you think you are, no matter how much you can bench press or how moral you think you are, you are weak compared to Satan. But God is so much stronger that He will crush the great deceiver under His feet. So why would we put our trust in ourselves to fight temptation when, when we failed time and time and time again? But why don't we trust in the Spirit to give us the strength to do so? Do you desire to live a godly life? I hope so. I hope that's our desire. I mean, the very fact that you're in church kind of you know, lends to that, 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 that fact. If you want to live a godly life, the Spirit is willing. But you must pray. Jonathan Edwards was a, a pastor back in uh, theologian, and he was also the, the third president of the Princeton Semin or University back in the 1700s. And uh, also a fun fact that might win you a few points at, on trivia night, uh, but is that uh, Edwards is the grandfather of Aaron Burr. Yes, that Aaron Burr from the Broadway musical Hamilton, um, but he was also a, one of the founders of this country. <laughs> Jonathan Edwards, in an effort to live a godly life, he wrote numerous resolutions that he would, that he would review daily to make sure that, that it was first and foremost on his thoughts. And here is one of these resolutions. He said, resolved very much to exercise myself in all my life long with the greatest openness I am capable of to declare my ways to God to lay open my soul to Him. All my sins, temptations, difficulties, sorrows, fears, hopes, desires, and everything and every circumstance. See, we open our lives, and when we open and allow God to take control of every area of our life, when we do this, not only will we honor God, but He will protect us from the evil one. But we are also 
Right? We are also to, to pray with, with thanksgiving. And I'm grateful to hear one of the kids mention that this morning. Every prayer that we pray, even those prayers that maybe we're a little mad at, at God and frustrated with them, we pray in thanksgiving. One, it establishes His holiness, that we are not equals, that, that He is God, that we are not, that we are in our reliance on Him. And so when we pray with thanksgiving, we are recognizing who He is. Recognizing that every good gift comes from God. The very air that we breathe, the very fact that you were able to wake up in the morning and put your feet on the ground is a gift of God's goodness. When we have a posture of thankfulness, it kind of puts our problems in perspective because it's easy. To get the woe is me and, and get down on ourselves and begin to blame other people for our problems. Many times our problems are because of our own actions. Other times it's because we live in a sinful and a fallen world. But know this, that God is a good and a gracious God. The psalmist tells us morning by morning, new mercies he gives us. So we can trust in his goodness. And in so we should have a heart of thanksgiving, even in the midst of our suffering. Even when it seems like the world is against us, even when it feels like you can't do anything right, know that you are a child of the holy God. And we pray to Him in thankfulness. So we are to be watchful in our prayers. We are to pray in thanksgiving. And, and then Paul kind of now expands on what we are to pray for. Look here at verses 3 and 4. It says, At the same time, pray for us also that God may open to us a door for the Word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. You know, I ask the kids, who are we to pray for? And they, they know to pray for others, pray for the, the sick, but, and we pray for ourselves as well. Well, here Paul's saying we need to, he's asking for the, the Colossians to pray for him and for Timothy who's there with him and the others that are in Rome in prison. Paul was humble enough to ask for others to pray for him. But I think it's interesting what he asks for. You know, he doesn't ask for safety. He doesn't ask that he would be treated well when he's in prison. <laughs> he doesn't ask that he gets can get out of prison or for better accommodations, better food. No, he doesn't ask for any of those things. Look what he, he says. He says that God may, go back here to verse 4, open a door for the Word. Now, at first I missed the irony of, of this verse. And as I began to meditate on it, 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 it kind of became into in focus. 
Right? Paul is locked in chains in, under house arrest in Rome. Right? He's in prison. He can't leave even if he wanted to. The door is locked. It's through his suffering in prison behind that locked door that God opened up the door for him to share the gospel, the mystery of Christ. Sometimes God places us in our own prison to give us the opportunity to share the good news. Now, don't go out and rob a bank. I'm not at all insisting that anybody commit a crime this morning. But I am here to tell you that there will be times when God allows you to enter into a season of immense suffering so that you might be able to declare the mystery of Christ. You know, one of his lectures to his students, the great Baptist preacher from the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, said this, he said, I dare say the greatest earthly blessing that God can give to any of us is health, with the exception of sickness. If some men whom I know could only be favored with a month of rheumatism, it would, by God's grace, mellow them marvelously. See, Spurgeon is known as the, the Prince of Preachers. Yet he suffered greatly. While he was caring for his bedridden wife for a number of years, Susanna, Spurgeon contracted smallpox. He dealt with debilitating rounds of gout in his feet. He had rheumatism and suffered with depression. So much so that there were many days in Spurgeon's life where he just could not get out of the bed in the morning. Anybody know how Spurgeon might feel? But I want you to look here at how he viewed his prison. He said this, Glory be to God for the furnace, for the hammer and the file. Heaven shall be all the fuller of bliss because we, can't, we have been filled with anguish here below and earth shall be better tilled because of our training in the school of adversity. Our adversity, our suffering, may be a gift from God to allow us to declare the mystery of Christ. And how are we to do that? Well, look what Paul says here in verse 4. He says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Now, look, there is probably no greater evangelist on, that ever walked the face of this earth than the Apostle Paul. I mean, if anybody could teach a master class on sharing the gospel, it's Paul. And, and he did so. It, it, it's called his letters. I mean, so... Paul, Saul, before Paul, encountered Jesus on the Damascus road. He was blinded by him and had a direct, had a, a direct command from Jesus himself to declare the gospel to the Gentiles. It's one of the most amazing 
conversion stories in the history of the world. And, and what does he ask for here for the, the Colossians to pray for him? He says that, hey, he, that he may make the gospel clear. I read this week that from the, the, the North American Mission Board and in, in, in doing some, some studies, they, they found here in, in, in Kentucky, among our Kentucky Baptist churches, in 2012, baptized in just that year 3,088 people. And then in 2021, nine years later, the baptism was 882. Now, it was the year of COVID. It had an impact on that for sure. But if you were to go back to 2017, pre-COVID, that, that number had declined almost 750. It was down to 2,000 and and 242. You know, I wonder sometimes the reason that we aren't sharing the gospel is because we're not asking God to give us the words to say. We'll have discipleship training on evangelism. We'll maybe somebody will go with you and share the God. We study it and we we talk about it, but how often do we pray. I mean, Paul knew the gospel forwards and and backwards. He knew it better than any of us could ever know it. What did he pray? That God would have him speak it clearly. He knew how to speak it. He wasn't so much asking for the right words to say. No, he was asking him for the right heart to say it, and for the recipient to receive it. Do we pray for evangelistic opportunities? Do we pray that God would give us the words to say when we need to say it? We are to be devoted to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. Thank you for listening to this message. To listen to other messages and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com.